of your own. You can think of the people in this room, their lives, what good things God has done in their lives, what good things God has done in history, what good things God is going to do for all people in this world, all the oppressed, all the shamed, all the pain, all the good things he has done and all the good things he will do. As we stand here in his presence, come on, church, let's praise the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise.
weight above them all. His fame outlasts the earth he formed. His fame outlasts the earth he formed. His praise resounds beyond the stars. His praise resounds beyond the stars and echoes and echoes in our hearts. The greatest one of all. His face shines brighter. His face shines brighter than the sun. Shines brighter his grace is as boundless as his love his grace as boundless as his love he reigns with healing in his wings
Just let your soul reach out to God. Just let your heart reach out to God. He is here. He is close. The Lord sings to us that he is now far away. shake and tremble before him. The earth will shake and tremble before him. Chains will make as heaven and earth sing. Holy is a name. Holy is a name of Jesus. 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 He's breaking chains here. One more time, the earth will shake, chains will break. The earth will shake and tremble before Him. Chains, yeah, chains of all kinds of, of sin and of evil and oppression. Holy is the name, holy is the name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just one more time, the earth and all this the chains of fear, the chains of self-hatred, and heaven and earth sing. Holy is the name, holy is the name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lift up your eyes, see the King has come, yeah, the light of the reaching out for us there is 
but we also take delight in his love and grace. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. God of compassion, your love endures forever. We confess that while you are so gracious to us, we fall short and are distracted by the things of this world every day. We confess that we often value what others think of us over what you think of us. Father, you know our hearts, you know our minds and our souls. You know our idols and the things we put hope in. Forgive us for putting hope in empty things and fleeting things. We trust in your forgiveness because of your steadfast love for us. Because of your love and grace, we serve you with gladness. We come into your presence with singing. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We bless your name for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. You are the light of the world, the undefeated one, and mountains bow down before you. You are exalted above all gods, better than any idols, pearl of greatest price. Almighty God, you are faithful to all generations. There truly is no other name. to our friends, families, and communities. We trust in your Holy Spirit to guide us in living this way and walking in your truth. And we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, at this time, I want to invite you all to pass the peace of Christ to whoever's around you. Um, if you're at home, peace to you. So welcome again, uh, Great Commission Community Church. 
I uh, want to welcome um, any newcomers that we have today. I uh, want to welcome anyone who maybe first came before the pandemic and you're returning a year and a half later. Um, yeah, I just want to welcome you. And if you are new, please um, email us at welcome at greatcommissioncc.org. Uh, let us know you're new and let us know if you'd like to get plugged into our community. Um, if you'd like to join a community group, we would love to um, make sure that you find a place um, to grow and get to know people in our church. Um, our Race and Justice Ministry is holding a discussion about the video titled, Are We Allies? Uh, where black and Asian voices discuss identity and representation. Um, this video is hosted by um, an organization called Jubilee, and they've um, hosted and uh, recorded a lot of conversations um, that are kind of like the conversations you don't want to have, pretty much, <laughs> um, which is why we are interested in uh, watching this video and discussing it. So um, this is a continuation of a conversation that our church has been having over the past year and a half. Um, and previously, we discussed a book, and um, this time around, we're discussing some media. So uh, we would love for all of you to join us. Um, yeah, um, if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me or Pastor Carl um, about that. Um, Tuesday, Tuesday prayer at 8 p.m. So every Tuesday evening, um, our church has a prayer meeting. This upcoming Tuesday, um, the prayer meeting is going to be The Watch, which is um, an extended time of prayer and worship. Um, so it's not just prayer, but we'll be singing and worshiping together. Um, and this will be online on Zoom. So please um, go to the website, and you'll be able to find The Watch um, and the, the Zoom link there. Uh, lastly, on August 22nd, our Sunday service will be online only, meaning we are not meeting here in person. Nobody will be here. Um, so for the rest of 2021, we will be online one Sunday every month, um, and we'll make a note of these dates on the website. So just to make sure, check the website if you like are wondering if we're if this is the Sunday we're meeting online. Just check and see, um, and the website will be updated, okay? Yeah, hello? Hello. All right, church, good morning. Um, all right, uh, so in this past month, um, we as a church have been going through a series on the life of David. And so uh, we've seen David wear many hats throughout his life so far. We've seen David as a shepherd, uh, David as a warrior, uh, David as a friend, David as a on-the-run fugitive. Um, today we're going to look at another side of David that's probably not talked about as much, um, David as a dancer, David as a dancer. So I'm not a natural uh, dancer. Actually, that's why I like, I like going to weddings because it's like the only safe and socially <laughs> acceptable environment for me to practice my dance moves. <laughs> but uh, I'm not a dancer, uh, but I am a uh, worshiper of God. And um, I believe that David the dancer has a lot to say to us today 
about, um, about worship. So let's pray, and uh, we'll jump right into the text. Please pray with me. God, we uh, worship you freely, Lord, with pure hearts. Um, Lord, we just want to say uh, how, how much we appreciate you, God, how much we love you. Lord, when we think about you, Lord, about your mercy, Lord, about, about your compassion, Lord, your justice, um, your, your righteousness, Lord, um, there's, there's just a big smile, God, on our faces, um, and our hearts are filled with delight. Lord, as we worship you, um, we know that your Holy Spirit speaks. So speak to us today, Lord, for we long to hear from you. Amen. Amen. Um, so today's scripture comes from Second uh, Samuel, uh, chapters 6 and 7. So um, as you're turning there, um, really quickly, the first five chapters of Second Samuel um, describe... How after Saul, Saul's death, David becomes king. David, David becomes king of Judah and then over all of Israel. Okay, So David's now king um, after kind of like a civil war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David's now king, and he's conquered uh, Jerusalem. This is like capital city. So today's passage uh, tells us about one of the first things that uh, David did when he became king. Let's pick up at uh, chapter 6, verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. All right. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baalei, Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Okay, let's pause here. Um, so going back to the book of Exodus, um, God instructed the Israelites to build a tabernacle something akin to like a portable temple, okay? So within the tabernacle, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, okay? It was the most like sacred place in the tabernacle. And within the Holy of Holies was the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant, um, something like a, like a chest you can carry. Okay? It was called the Ark of the Covenant because um, inside the Ark, was the covenant or the tablets um, inscribed with the laws by which the Israelites were to live in covenant with God. So on top of the ark was the mercy seat, uh, the place where God's presence was supposed to dwell. Right now, God is God is everywhere, right? But um, I guess the locus of God's glory or locus of God's presence was concentrated on the ark. And so the ark. Um, it's a symbol of covenants between God and Israel and also a place where the place where God's presence dwells. So naturally, David wants to bring this important item to Jerusalem where he'll be ruling as king. And it's kind of like a political maneuver too, um, establishing the legitimacy of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Um, let's continue with uh, verse 5. 
And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, before the Lord, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. There's a big procession, music, excitement all around, sheer joy. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nahon, uh, Uzzah put out his hand to touch to, to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. He died there beside the ark of God. Uh, yeah, so that turned macabre pretty quickly. Um, I, I suppose you could ask an ethical question, right? Wasn't it the oxen's fault? Uh, wasn't the poor guy Uzzah uh, just trying to salvage the ark from falling? Um, and I think what the author is trying to do here is to depict the, the divine power that's invested in the ark. Um, divine power that is, is so powerful that even to touch the ark uh, in an effort to save it from slipping is to risk being like consumed by that power and uh, consumed by God's holiness. Verse 8, and David was angry uh, because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Peretz Uzzah to this day. Um, that means in Hebrew, literally like breaking out against Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So um, the Hebrew word for afraid, a yare, um, either means to be like horrified of or to revere. And I, I think probably both are going on here. Um, in, in any case, David fears that uh, he, something might similar hap might happen to him in further transport of the ark. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So um, Obed-Edom is non-Israelite, likely a Philistine. And uh, back in 1 Samuel, the last time the ark was brought to the Philistines, or the Philistines took the ark, um, tumors started to break out on the Philistines. This time, the ark uh, blesses. Verse 12, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. David's filled with joy uh, because it's safe to proceed with the original mission. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord, before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, uh, something like priestly garments, uh, likely a short garment tied around his waist. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, uh, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Okay, so really quickly, um, Michal has like quite an interesting story in First and Second Samuel. We haven't really focused on her um, during our sermon series, but just to kind of give you context, as the younger daughter of Saul, uh, she's given by Saul to be David's wife, okay? It's like a politically expedient marriage. 
but scripture says that Dave, uh, Michal loved David. Michal loved David. And actually, she helps David escape from her father Saul. But David is away uh, from Michal many years. And, um, you know, he's on the run from Saul. And he, uh, David, during that time, acquires, like, other wives. And um, Saul actually gives Michal to uh, another man, um, another man named Paltiel. And in the course of the civil war between uh, David and Saul's house, uh, Michal is actually like taken away from her second husband, uh, Paltiel, who weeps, who weeps as uh, Michal is sent back to David. So, right, she's had a hard life. And after all those years, uh, we can only imagine how uh, Michal might have felt toward David. Verse 17, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord, before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. Okay, so the ark is finally here. It's finally in Jerusalem, and David celebrates with a feast. Uh, notice how they're celebrating and worshiping in community, right? Much like we do here on Sundays. Verse 20, and David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, this is sarcastically, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So Michal remarks that David's actions, they don't resemble that of a king's. Um, according to Michal, David has acted in an undignified manner, exposing himself before female servants. And David said to Michal, uh, this is important, David said to Michal, it was before the Lord, before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord, before the Lord. So David is dancing before who? Before the Lord, right? Yeah, not before anyone else. Uh, this celebration is directed before God, and it's an act of worship to God for making him king in place of Saul. David continues, um, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. So David says, you know, you can think whatever you want, but I'm going to celebrate more. And David comments, um, the female servants are the ones who, unlike you, Michal, understand that my dancing is an act of honor toward God. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Right? So David says, I'm dwelling in a house, but God dwells in a tent. I'm going to build a house, a permanent residence, a temple for God. 
But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. So God has resided in a, like a portable temple, sorry, the tab- tabernacle since the days of um, Moses, never in a permanent home. We're going to jump to verse 11. Um, this is uh, Nathan speaking. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, see what's going on here. Um, David says to God, I will build you a house. God says back to David, no, I will build you a house. It's like when girls say to each other, like, you're so pretty. It's like, no, you're so pretty. No, you're so pretty. Right? This is the house that God will build. Uh, the house that God will build for David is, is a kingdom, a dynasty for his offspring uh, for perpetuity. Right? New Testament authors reading this covenant in light of Jesus have understood uh, Jesus to be the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant. All right, so um, subsequently we have a beautiful prayer of uh, gratitude and worship by David. We won't read it all, uh, but I just want to highlight a couple of verses that give us a feel for the the worshipful spirit uh, found in David's prayer. So verse 22, uh, chapter 7, verse 22. We actually prayed this line earlier together. Um, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Verse 26, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. So David's worship, right, he, he declares that God is God over Israel. Uh, God, in, in a sense, is like, like the true king of Israel. And, and he expresses gratitude for the promise that God has made to him. All right, you know, um, so, so one of the ways that scripture functions, um, I think, is as a manual for worship, right? Scripture gives us language um, for, for worship or portraits of what worship should look like. So this past year in um, H2O, which is our church's college ministry, I had a student ask me, um, Wayne, how, how do I pray? How do I pray? And I remember saying, well, um, there are a lot of ways that people pray, um, but let's see how Jesus taught us to pray um, or what scripture says about prayer. So we read the Lord's Prayer together. Um, we read some Psalms together, and um, we use the language of scripture to like train us to pray. I think likewise, um, in these two chapters that we just read, David gives us a picture of worship that I think serves as a model for how scripture wants us to worship God. So I want to highlight just some observations about worship in these chapters. Observation number one, uh, worship is about God and God's kingdom, not about our own kingdoms. Okay, worship is about God and God's kingdom, not about our own kingdoms. So that last verse we read, verse 26, um, your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. This verse, I think, epitomizes David's heart. Yes, David is king over Israel, 
But his prayer isn't, my name be magnified forever. I am king over Israel. Quite the contrary. The first thing David does when he becomes king is he brings the ark uh, to Jerusalem as if he were saying, God, you are God over Israel. I want you to be with me as we lead this people together. And not only that, but David says, I want to build you a permanent house, a temple. Not only because I want to declare your reign over this nation, but because, um, as Psalm 27, 4 puts it, I want to dwell in your house all the days of my life. I want to gaze, gaze upon your beauty. I want to seek you in your temple. Right, so it's clear that David is zealous about God, um, God's reign, God's presence, God's ho- house. Um, we're going to read from uh, Psalm 132. This is a retelling of the story that we just read. Psalm 132 puts it this way. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. This is, uh, this is Mamba mentality <laughs> at its finest. Uh, David won't sleep until God has a dwelling place or until God's house, um, or in New Testament language, God's kingdom, is established. This mission drives David's life. His zeal and his intensity for ministering to God consumes his entire being. All right, so worship, worship is about God and God's kingdom. Duh, right? Like, that sounds obvious, right? What else could worship um, be about? But, you know, I think somehow um, we often make worship about us. Um, You know, this past year, in shepherding the college ministry, um, by the way, college students, where are you at? You in the house? Yeah, yeah, college students. Um, (laughs) This past year in H2O, you know, I had to learn and relearn that ministry is about God and God's kingdom, not about, like, my own kingdom. So, like, whenever I would lead a Bible study or give, give a talk, like, after the night was done, like, I would be up in the middle of the night, like, kind of, like, replaying in my head, you know, how it went. I would think things like, um, you know, that, that question I asked um, was, like, met with dead silence for, like, 10 <laughs> seconds on Zoom. 10 seconds on Zoom feels like five minutes in real life. Man, I could have asked that question better. Or um, why did I use the um, 2014 San Antonio Spurs as an illustration for unity in the church when I could have shown a music video of BTS, you know, dancing seamlessly as, a, as an illustration instead? We don't have a lot of guys in H2O, so, um, but yeah, we have a lot of girls, I guess, who love BTS. Um, you know, after the sermon, <laughs> I'll probably go home and um, I'll like watch the tape. And I'll, I'll think, oh, man, that joke, like, totally fell flat, or, you know, I could have phrased that point more clearly. And, and part of this is, like, you know, I'm pretty self-critical by nature, and I'm not that, like, experienced as a minister of the word. But I've had to learn and relearn, it's not about me. Sure, it's good to think about how we can get better, you know, at our craft. But ultimately, worship is about God. You know, I'm not at the center We're here to worship God, and I need to get out of the way, lest I steal God's spotlight. You know, I've had to learn the paradigm of John the Baptist, um, who is a pro at getting out of the way and witnessing to Christ. 
I've had to learn to change the way I pray before delivering sermons. Instead of, God, give me the words to speak. God, speak through me. I think a better way to pray is, God, speak to us. We want to hear from you. I've had to learn to be pretty cold when receiving affirmation from others. And, you know, after the service, the best thing that someone could say is not like, um, oh, the singing was great, or um, the prayers were so well written, or um, the sermon was really thoughtful. And hopefully you don't say the sermon sucks, but, <laughs> but the best thing someone could say um, is what David said in, in chapter 7, verse 22. Therefore, you are great. You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Um, you know, back in, back in California, um, I helped out with uh, high school students at, at a church. And, and I remember um, a high schooler saying to me one time, like, Wayne, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like worshiping. I responded, like, why? What's up? And I remember him saying, I just don't, like, receive um, anything or feel anything, you know, when I worship. And, and in my head, I'm like, how did you get the idea that, like, worship is solely about you? Um, you feeling things or receiving things? Where did that theology come from? And then I was like, oh, you probably got that from me somehow because I'm your Sunday school teacher. <laughs> um, you know, we, we should feel things when we worship. Um, we should feel joy, delight, right? Wonder. Because that's what being in God's presence does. But I think the heart of worship is less about us like receiving, but more about us giving. In other words, worship is really about God and who God is and how we can give God thanksgiving, honor, and praise. And that doesn't mean we can't, like, bring our feelings and circumstances uh, before the Lord. You know, the Psalms are full of that. They're full of, like, honest cries before God. But I found that when the central focus is setting my eyes on God, ministering to God, seeking God's kingdom, like, a lot of my personal worries, they, they start to dissipate. You know, it's like, it's like the best cycle, right? Um, what's most honoring to God, focusing on God and God's kingdom, it's also, that's also the, the most helpful thing to us um, as we become less caught up in ourselves. So I wonder if that's behind, um, like, Jesus' statement uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Like, really quick, mini-sermon um, on Matthew 6, that section, um, when Jesus says, do not worry, I think what Jesus is saying, the antidote to worry, is worrying about the right things. Right? Worrying about God's kingdom come. Worrying about the things that are on God's heart. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Be about your father's business and trust that God knows and cares for all your needs. All right, so when I think about a time when worship was really about God and God's kingdom, um, I think about my college days. So in college, I did... Um, I did, like, two things, okay? I watched a lot of um, Spurs games, and I went to a lot of prayer meetings, okay? Spurs and prayer. Yes? Amen. Amen. Um, I'll just talk about the latter, because if I talk, start talking about the Spurs, we could be here for a long time. Um, in college, I was part of this, like, completely student-led prayer meeting on campus, and we focus on just two things, worship and intercession. Worship and intercession. God and God's kingdom. God and God's kingdom. And, you know, we're just like college students. Um, you know, no one's like forcing us to be there. Um, but we really wanted to be close to God 
and to ask God to move in mighty ways on our campus. And, you know, those prayer meetings, they were really like the highlight of my week. It was so sweet being in God's presence and so awesome to see prayers answered. Um, And it really set the tone, like, for the rest of the week. That one hour that we spent in prayer made being about God and God's kingdom like a lifestyle. You know, I think that's what our Sunday worship here does. You know, we're, we're gathered here being about God, being about God's kingdom for this hour and a half. And that shapes the ethos of who we are throughout the entire week. Worship is about God and God's kingdom. Um, Observation number two, worship is both reverence and delight, not either or. Worship is both both reverence and delight, not either or. All right, so a lot of us might ask this question, um, how do we worship God? How should God be worshipped? Okay, do we talk to God like God's our best friend? Or do we talk to God like God's the transcendent king of the universe? Do we enter into God's presence with joy, celebration, dancing? Or do we enter into God's presence with trembling and fear? Do we sing songs about the sweetness of being in God's presence and the joy of uh, being in Christ? Or do we sing songs about like God's holiness and power? Do we live in careful fear of God, wanting to obey and honor God in all that we do? Or do we live our lives delighting um, that we're forgiven in Christ and that we have um, new life in him. And I think like, you know, my answer is, I think depending on the churches that you've attended, it's likely that you'll err toward one extreme. But I think what David tells us is we do both. We worship God with reverence and we worship God with delight. Like any healthy relationship, there's that balance, right, of mutual respect um, that people have for one another, but also enjoyment, that people have when they're around one another. All right, so a week ago, um, I was having a conversation with someone at church, actually, about uh, Uzzah, whom we read about earlier. So if you recall, um, when the oxen stumble, Uzzah puts out his hand on the ark uh, to touch the ark to take hold of it, and um, God strikes Uzzah down. So that person was telling me about, like, a previous worship team he was on, how church leadership would use Uzzah as an example not to be careless or flippant when handling um, worship equipment. So instead of like one, one person carrying a bulky speaker, make sure you have like two people just in case something happens. You don't want to end up like Uzzah. Um, and in my head, I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I guess I wouldn't have like maybe phrased it like that because that's not my style. But I think, I think the heart behind that is, is right. Um, we want to have integrity and care in all that we manage and do, and I think that um, comes from, like, like having the fear of the Lord in our lives. At the same time, I think if we, if all we have is the fear of the Lord, I think that could be maybe, like, stifling for, for some people. You know, our worship should also be marked by fun, fun, laughing, joy, delight. You know, we see this in how David leaps and dances um, before God as the ark is brought into Jerusalem. You know, that's why after, um, like, college ministry, large groups, uh, we have additional ministry time in the form of playing uh, games together on Zoom. Uh, we have, like, some students in charge. That, this is their job. Like, they're, they're in charge of finding fun online games for us to play as a group. And, you know, I saw that time of, like, playing games together not as something ancillary or as, like, an add-on um, part of our night, but really as, like, a core, core part um, of our weekly liturgy, so to speak, as a group. 
you know, as I've been thinking about uh, reverence and delight this past week, um, I think where reverence and delight kiss or what undergirds both reverence and delight is um, gratitude, gratitude, okay? Worship could mean and look like a lot of things, but I think the heart of worship is simply telling God, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your gratuitous grace. And we see how gratitude for God's promise breeds both reverence and delight in David's prayer. Um, Here are a couple of verses uh, from David's prayer. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house? That you have brought me thus far. What more can David say to you? You have brought about all this greatness. Who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people? Right, so David's gratitude for what God has done for him and for Israel causes him to worship God with both reverence, like, wow, I, I really don't deserve this. God, you're so great. And delight, you know, I'm filled with joy, Lord, because you brought me this far. Um, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a uh, high church or um, like liturgical tradition, but I've grown to really appreciate uh, structured liturgical settings because these settings ensure that you have like a good mix of ingredients in your worship service. So here at GCCC, like a lot, a lot of thought. A lot of thought goes into crafting our Sunday worship service. Um, shout out to our screenwriter for today, Justin Peng, uh, for, for composing this week's uh, service scripts. Like, we're, we're really careful to tell all parts of Christ's story, from Christ's incarnation to Christ's life to his death to his resurrection to his return. We're careful to mention things that, for whatever reason, um, you know, aren't often mentioned in, in the church, like the Holy Spirit or Christ's return. We're careful to mix elements um, of both reverence and delight in, in our Sunday worship. So earlier we heard from Psalm 99, right, a psalm of reverence. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. But we also heard from Psalm 100, a psalm of joy and thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So worship is both reverence and delight. Reverence and delight. Observation number three. Uh, worship is purely and freely offered before the Lord. Before the Lord, not before people. Worship is purely and freely offered before the Lord, not before people. All right, so when uh, Michal scorns David for his unkinglike dancing behavior... David responds with a profound statement in chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. I'll read it again for us. It was before the Lord, before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes. So David worships before who? Before the Lord. Amen. Uh, Pastor Carl, um, you know, in the past couple of weeks, he's been talking about David as someone who's immensely secure in the Lord. And we see that security again here. Right? David could care less if he's misunderstood by Michal. 
he says to Michal, you know, you can think whatever you want, um, but I'm so, like, consumed by gratitude and joy toward God that I must celebrate before the Lord. I think David's, like, disregard for what others think of him allows him to worship with purity and with freedom. Um, you know, Jeremy Riddle, uh, he leads worship at uh, Vineyard Anaheim. Uh, he says this about worship. Pure worship has nothing to gain in the realm of popularity. You know, it could care less. It only hopes to touch the heart, to win the heart of the one it is worshiping. It is never driven by the benefit it gets. It is so blinded by the depths of its love, it cannot possibly adhere to what social norms of the day deem to be acceptable. Pure worship is solely driven by the, I have to let you know, I have to communicate to you somehow, some way, how much you mean to me, how much you've touched my life. You know, I love that. It is so blinded by the depths of its love, it cannot possibly adhere to what social norms of the day deem to be acceptable. Pure worship is solely driven by the, I have to let you know how much you mean to me. You know, speaking of um, being blinded by our love for God, um, a couple of years ago, I was talking to a friend about worship, and um, he told me the story, the story about a blind man, like physically blind man, entering their worship service one Sunday. You know, using his cane, um, the man walked up to the front of the sanctuary, and he began to worship, worship with, like, such freedom and, and purity and joy, you know, arms raised, singing his heart out to God. And I remember my friend was telling me, you know, our congregation, like, isn't super expressive uh, during worship. But seeing that blind man uh, worship with freedom, you know, completely unaware of um, what other people might be thinking, just wanting to let God know how much God has touched his life, seeing that, it really moved our entire congregation. I think there's, like, something mystifying about pure worship. You know, it's pleasing to God, but it's also encouraging, you know, to other people. It reminds me, too, of another story, a story um, from uh, the college ministry that was actually, like, before my time, but I'll tell it anyway. So um, some, some of the students went to, um, like, karaoke <laughs> after church uh, service one Sunday. And you know how college students are when they, they go to karaoke, right? They get into it, singing at the top of their lungs, dancing, having a blast. And after they were done singing karaoke, um, one of the students said in a joking manner, why can't you all sing and dance like this during Sunday worship? <laughs> and it was like dead silent after that because no one had any answer to that question. Um, and, and, you know, part of me wants to say, you know, I know some of us are introverts and not super emotive. And I think it would be remiss to say that being like loud and, um, you know, dancing when we worship is the only like true paradigm of pure worship. You know, purity can look like being still and silent. Uh, before God, and oftentimes I think like sacred silence, it 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 speaks more profoundly than um, any human words. But the other part of me wants to say I can't wait <laughs> for the day when GCCers dance, you know, in corporate worship. Why not, right? Why can't we be super expressive? And maybe some of us like need that encouragement today, just to worship God uh, freely, uh, holding nothing back. Um, so I don't know, right? I don't know. I don't want to give you like a prescriptive answer of what purity and freedom might look like for you um, or for us as a church. 
But let's have David's heart in worship, pure, free, holding nothing back. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to close with a time of response as the uh, musicians come up um, to play. And, um, you know, uh, why, don't, why don't we stand, actually? Um, I just want to uh, pray uh, together, um, pray for um, two groups of people. Two groups of people. Um, you know, for, for some of us, uh, you know, we might have um, experienced, like, feeling misunderstood by others when we've made decisions or taken risks to follow Christ. So I, I know I've, I've felt this a lot, you know, the past several years. You know, maybe you've been scorned or at the very least, like, misunderstood by the mihals in your life. You know, your parents, your classmates, um, your supervisors, coworkers, even people within the church. And so, um, you know, for those of you who have, like, really followed Christ and um, felt misunderstood in the process, I think David's words... Um, you know, I will make myself more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. I think David's words are encouragement to us um, to keep following the Lord. And if this is you, um, if you, um, I don't know, have felt misunderstood when making decisions to follow God, I'd encourage you to just, like, lift up your hands and, um, you know, receive from the Lord. And you can pray in your own words, um, or you can pray, you know, God, come what may, come what may, I want to follow you. Lord, guard my purity toward you. Spend some time in prayer. also want to pray for people, um, you know, who feel like they've, um, like, lost that purity for whatever reason, uh, lost that purity and freedom in worship, and, um, you know, maybe you've been feeling like your life has become more about your own kingdom rather than about God and God's kingdom, or maybe you feel like you've grown more concerned about what others think rather than doing things simply unto the Lord, and, you know, if this is you, um, you know, if this is, you're feeling this, I encourage you to pray a prayer of, um, like, like confession to God, you know, asking God to restore the joy of your salvation, to restore that pure God-centered worship in your life once again. Let's pray. decisions, God, we've made to follow you. Lord, you see all those decisions, God. Lord, we ask, guard our purity toward you. Guard our purity toward you, Lord. Guard our purity toward you. Keep us steadfast, God, in our obedience to you. 
Lord, make us people about you and your kingdom come. Lord, keep us on fire, Lord, for you and your kingdom come, God. We worship you, Lord, in spirit and truth. Amen. 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 All right, we're going to transition to a time of uh, taking communion, and um, Pastor Carl is going to lead us in, in the elements, but... Um, you know, as we remember the uh, body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us, I want to take uh, want us to take the elements with like a sense of reverence and also a sense of delight. Okay, so um, I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I viewed communion as like something very like serious and solemn. It's like you're confessing your sins, you're remembering what um, Christ has done for for you and for us on the cross. But I think communion should also be like a sacrament of joy. Thank you, God. Our sins are forgiven. We have new life in Christ. Um, so let's take the elements with you know, that heart, both reverence and delight, and above all, with uh, gratitude. Gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed with... Um, dinner with his friends, with his friends and closest disciples, he took bread and he broke it and he said to his friends, this is my body broken for you. And he says that to us today as well. And he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of covenant with me through my blood shed for you. He says, when you take this bread and you take this cup, do it remembering me. Do it remembering my joy, my delight, remembering the reverence um, that is just so natural, that is so appropriate um, for us as we um, are connected to God. So we're going to um, take this together. Um, well, we're going to take it not like all simultaneously together, but we're going to take it together in a vague sense. Take it together. So um, if you can come, so those of you who are closer to the back, you can go to the table in the back. Um, if you're closer to the front, you can come up to the sort of high top table there in the, in the front. And um, just what we're going to do before, actually before you take it right now, um, Jane will be in the back and then Delwyn will be, uh, actually Jane will be in the front, Delwyn will be in the back and Kyung too. And so uh, when you come up, they'll just tell you, like, this is the body of Christ for you, blood of Christ for you. Just be encouraged by that as you come up. And then once you take it, you can bring it back to where you're sitting and then you can open it up. Um, again, if, if you haven't taken these, like, there's prepackaged communion, they're like snack communion. Um, but um, like for the road, um, but you know, for uh, during this you know pandemic time, we're trying to be really careful with contact. So um, you'll take the top and you'll open it, and you'll take this the wafer, and this is the body of Christ broken for us. And then you'll peel off the second peel, and this is a cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. Please uh, feel free to come forward. Again, come to Jane in the front, come to Kyung and Dalwin in the back. And 
as you come forward and you grab it and you go back to your seats, um, even as you might take like a minute, like unless you're very dexterous, you might do it really quickly. Otherwise, it might take a minute to get the element. But as we do that, we'll sing the song together.
church, um, just as uh, kind of a closing benediction, um, let's receive this. Um, you know, be sent as worshipers of God, church, who are secure in the love of the Father, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the power and refreshing presence of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us today, church, and see you next week. Amen. Amen. Amen.